Hi, I'm Anya Cox, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show. I'm really excited about this episode. Do I say that every time? Probably say that every time. Um, But seriously, for real this time? Um, I'm actually really excited for this episode and the next handful I'm going to release. Just spent a few days in a hotel in Big Sky, Montana mass recording podcasts, uh, which was a very needed thing for me. Aside from this one that I'm about to release, I had no other ones in the queue. So it was definitely necessary for me to record all of those and get some Wi-Fi work done. It's a little bit tricky this year to find Wi-Fi and a quiet space to record intros, to record podcasts, to upload things. So figured we should just stress ourselves out for a few days and get a bunch of things done so then we could relax after that. Um, So just coming out of that, I'm pretty exhausted. I realized, like, I guess I've spent a lot of time away from screens, so my eyes and my head hurt so badly. I just feel like so much pressure in my head. I'm so excited to actually be able to, like, look at nature again. And also sitting in a, like lacking in ventilation room and the windows don't open the whole thing is very weird it's very strange to flip-flop between the earth and being in nature and the civilized world and go back and forth I feel like I'm in some sort of I don't know matrix (laughs) or at least I'm popping in and out of the matrix who knows anyway part of the reason I'm really excited about this episode today is because It's cool that this podcast, you know, you guys are on a journey with me. Um, I think back a lot. I look back to the previous episodes that I've done. I launched this podcast. It's been almost two years, year and a half, something like that. But it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, here I am trying to actively discover things in my own life. But at the same time, you're all here along for the journey. So it's weird. It's it's like I'm doing a lot of this sort of internal psychologically processing in front of an audience, uh, which is really neat, I think. But I want to mention it because I, I feel like if there's going to be any benefit to that, it's just to kind of see how it's okay. Like I'd love to normalize the fact that we grow and we change and we're always constantly discover th- discovering things. I remember when I first launched the podcast, I 
set up my Patreon and I had a lot of different perks than I offer now. And I was doing a lot of solo episodes. And I remember so vividly sitting in my friend's house in Arizona recording an episode about femininity. And it was sort of one of the first times that I was really starting to form actual intelligent, meaningful thoughts around something I was trying to say about femininity. And I'm still exploring that. And I feel like I'm using the podcast to explore that and break it down and unravel it and understand it. And I'm doing that in real time. And, you know, what I said or what I thought two years ago and what I think now and what I'm expressing now or uncovering now, it's different. It's not contradictory. It's not uh, negating, but maybe in some ways it is, you know, I think of course there are some ways that I thought I understood something that then later I learned, man, that's not it. Let's go in another direction. Um, but the next five episodes, I think will really exhibit that process in a way, I think specifically related to themes around, um, definitely femininity, definitely narcissism, definitely spirituality, um, they're all definitely tied together and they're very much about me trying to understand these things, both for myself, both for the world collectively, and just with other people, engaging with other people about these topics and learning from them. So when I initially, I think I mentioned this in the last couple episodes that I planned on doing sort of a series around narcissism and I was going to organize it in this whole way and what I decided is that I don't need to do a series. Like this whole podcast is a series. This whole podcast is just an unfolding and unraveling of, of my mind and where I'm at. And so if I'm thinking about something in my life right now, I'm thinking a lot about femininity and narcissism and, um, narcissistic fawn dynamics. Uh, and so that's going to come across in the conversations that I have, not just because that's what's on my mind but because I do believe in sort of like the synchronistic intuitive um, piece here where I'm being called to have conversations that help me unravel those things. And it's, it's, it's such a lovely place to be. And I'm so grateful in my life right now that I recognize when I ask questions and pose questions to myself, to the universe, or whatever you want to say, that you know, I, I may not get whole complete answers in full sentences <laughs> immediately, but I get clues nonetheless. And it just kind of makes, I don't know, makes life feel a little bit like a treasure hunt because I'm so genuinely curious about, you know, these different pieces. And I know, I don't know what's going to come of that. I don't know if I'm going to write something. I don't know if I'm going to teach something. I'm not really sure what it's going to look like, what its ending form will be. But I feel genuinely, authentically passionate and curious about these different things where I'm just following that trail. And this podcast is definitely a huge, huge part of that for me. So when you listen to this episode and the next four to six episodes, because I'm still planning on recording more of them that will have these themes, just pay attention to that, I guess the journey, the process of it all, and maybe reflect on how you process those things in your own life. You know, it's interesting because when I first set out to do this, this episode I'm recording now that I recorded with Leah, it's all about like white shamanism and um, spiritual bypassing. 
and I was going through something in my life, very personal, that kind of related to a lot of this stuff. And, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to write this whole piece about it. And it's going to be the intro to this podcast. And it's going to be this like big, you know, kind of victorious thing of like, this is what I have to say about all of this. And, um, this is what I'm going to share with everyone. And the truth is I'm just not ready yet. And I'm going to, I'm going to write that thing. <laughs> I've written a draft of it, but I'm not ready to share it because I still need to do some more of this discovery. So I do hope that by the time these next six episodes get released, that I can release a solo episode that sort of expresses very much about what I personally believe about all of these things and how they're all tied together. But I've just decided to kind of let this thing flow and not rush things. I spent a lot of time in my life trying to rush things for myself and feeling like I had it all figured out. I can't tell you how many times I walked into my therapist's office a few years ago and being like, okay, I got it. Like, I figured it all out now. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was just a complete and utter lie. Um, so I try really hard not to do that anymore. I try really hard just to keep my mind open to new things and recognize that, you know, I'm not really here to find answers. I'm not really here to figure it all out or have some like manifesto or legacy to pass on. I really do think that the question is much more important than the answer and maybe the answer is in and itself a question, not to get annoyingly philosophical about things, but I just really do. I do feel called to the questioning, to the curiosity, and to the flexibility. You know, these these topics that feel so genuinely important to me and that I feel genuinely curious about, they've weaved their way through my entire life in so many different ways, and sometimes they take a back seat and sometimes they come into the forefront, but... They're just really strong common th threads in my life. And I'd be kidding myself to think that at 32, I will have had all the answers and found where all the trails lead. That's absurd. I might not find that by the end of my life, and that's fine. I always kind of say, like, if our life path is to go from A to Z, like, if I get to C, I'm totally fine with that, you know? I just need to go as far as I can possibly go in a way that's not, you know, being controlled by my anxiety or my ego or whatever else. So I'm excited to unfold the inner workings of my thought processes processes with you in real time. I'm excited for you to see me do that. It feels kind of vulnerable, but exciting in all the best ways. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting as a lot of these topics, I think, do relate to narcissism and ego. You know, I I, I do not pretend to be 100% self-aware or pretend that, you know, there are times that I subconsciously do things that don't have, you know, everyone's best interest at heart because I'm trying to protect myself in some way. But I do feel really committed to... Um, to just being honest with all of you and being real with all of you and being vulnerable with all of you, which certainly means saying over and over again that I don't really know. Like, I don't have the answers. The things that I feel or think don't have to be the things that you feel or think. I just want to say what I feel and express what I think. And if that helps you realize something for yourself, 
that's awesome. But I'm not looking for people to just be me or do what I do. I just, I, I personally like being challenged to think about things in a different way. Someone says something and I'm like, oh wow, that's like maybe 85% of the, of the way that I feel. It's not a hundred percent. Or I read a book and I'm like, this is kind of close, but I feel like there's something else here that is missing that maybe I'm supposed to express or I'm supposed to discover. So I hope this podcast does that for all of you, maybe a little bit. I hope you're all interested somewhat in these topics that I am. I assume you are if you're here and you're still listening. Um, so yeah, uh, Leah and I recorded this podcast uh, July 8th, and I will probably get done recording this series of podcasts, I don't know, over the course of the next month. So you get to see the inner workings of my crazy mind unfold over the course of several months um, around all of these juicy, juicy topics. The other reason I wanted to mention the date specifically that uh, Leah and I recorded this is because we talked a bit about cancel culture and some people that have been accused of some things. So if something else has been exposed uh, in regard to the person that we discuss or people that we discuss since July 8th, uh, the reason we don't discuss it is because we didn't know about it at the time. Um, we recorded this in a beautiful spot in Oregon, I believe, uh, over a month ago. Um, I am not going to bore you anymore with my thoughts and my feelings, um, but before we get into this episode, just a few housekeeping notes. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Um, a few things of note to mention is that uh, I have been talking a bit about these WhatsApp group chats that I'm offering to patrons who donate 10 bucks a month or above that. Uh, at first, I thought I was going to have to limit it to 30 people because I didn't want to annoy everyone with like a million messages coming in in a group chat. We all know that's the most annoying thing ever. Um, but then I realized I could just create multiple groups. So the only downside of that is that everyone doesn't get to communicate with one another. But I think it's more important to form close, intimate relationships with a small group of people instead of kind of, you know, acquaintancy lacking in intimacy relationships with uh, many, many people. So the first group has been filled up. The second group has about 10 people in it now, I believe. So there's 20 more spots available in the second group. And once that gets filled up, I'm going to start a new group. And uh, yeah, this has been a really awesome idea of mine, I have to say. Um, I feel I feel so nourished by it, even though it's like not for me, I guess. Um but seeing all of you interact with one another and support one another, especially now when everyone feels so isolated and alone, um, I, I do think one of the most important things for me in starting this podcast was to really try my best to develop a community and to show other people like me that um, they're not alone and that uh, there is definitely strength in numbers. And if we all support each other in our weird lives... Um, that we're more inclined to live our weird lives. So it's been really cool if you feel alone or isolated or confused and feel like you need some motivation and support from other people like you. I highly recommend heading on over to Patreon and signing up and participating in one of these groups. Um, I've become actual real life friends with a lot of these people and um, yeah, it's not, it's not fake. It's real. Like, we're all the same. We're all awesome. I have not met one podcast fan who isn't super amazing. So that's one perk. The other perk at that same level is that we have launched our first book club. Um, 
basically, uh, it's totally optional as a patron if you'd like to participate or not, but we've chosen to read Braiding Sweetgrass this month, and the patrons who are already inside um, of my Patreon got to vote on what book they wanted to read in August, and we picked Braiding Sweetgrass, and I have been totally and utterly blown away by this book. It has been... I guess I wasn't, I guess I'm not surprised. Um, all the books that I chose to have people vote on were books that people recommended who've been on the show. So to some extent, I knew that all of them are probably pretty high quality, but I just am so grateful to be reading this book right now at this time. And I know everyone else who's reading it feels the same and it feels really good to read books with other people. Uh, I've never done this before. I've never been in a book club. So um, basically we're all reading that book this month and then the first week in September we will meet live via Zoom. So another great way to communicate with one another and we're going to discuss the book. So if you would like to be a part of all of that, again, head over on to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. And of course there are other levels to sign up on as well. If you're not interested in the WhatsApp group or the book club or any of that, you can sign up at a lower level. Um, still lots of perks and at the end of the day, Really, all the Patreon is about is helping me um, survive and make a living and support the podcast as this is my only source of income now. So um, highly appreciate that. If you are not interested in any of those things or don't have the money, I totally understand. Um, another way to support the show is to uh, subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and some stars. And most of all, share the podcast with someone that you think might enjoy it. Share an episode with someone who you might think uh, would find it interesting or just keep listening. Just keep being there in the black hole of the internet. Um, I know uh, at least I have some idea of how many of you are out there just based on the numbers I see in my podcast hosting service. And even that makes me happy. So I really, really appreciate all of it. I am going to play you in with buildings and bridges by Ani DeFranco. Um, one, because talks about flexibility and uh, that if we're not flexible, we just break and we collapse. So we have to be flexible. We have to be open to things changing for ourselves in the world, that it's important to just continue to ask questions and be okay if we get answers we don't expect and adjust accordingly. And the other reason I want to play this song is because at the end of this episode, I'm going to play a Kendrick Lamar song. And there was something highly amusing to me about playing an Ani DeFranco song and a Kendrick Lamar song in the same episode. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm amusing myself over here. So enjoy the song, enjoy this episode, and I will catch you on the other end. Bye. <laughs> Are made to bend in the wind to withstand the world as what it takes. All that steel and stone are no match for the air, my friend. Doesn't bend brakes, what doesn't bend brakes?
scab and heal and bleed again And turn every scar into a joke We are made to fight And fuck and talk and fight again And sit around and laugh until we choke Sit around and laugh until we choke heaven basically <laughs> um and we're both wearing leopard crocs we which are. we're gonna be the founding members of the leopard croc cult i think yeah and yeah. our partners have camo crocs so yeah so we're cooler than all of you <laughs> is what we're trying to say um but yeah so i'm very excited to have this conversation with you as it turns out i think we both have like, I think the thing that we're both interested in the most is the same thing, mm-hmm. um, which is hard to quantify, I feel like, because it's so broad. But whether it's like, like guru shaman syndrome amongst White Western <laughs> yeah, people, <laughs> but also like every thread that pokes out from that, which I feel like power and gender and um spirituality and exploitation yeah spiritual bypassing all of it (laughs) yeah um so i guess and you're you're thinking of or doing your phd about 
this, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm working on my PhD in clinical depth psychology. And I think I have to solidify my dissertation topic one year from right now. Mm. So, but I'm fairly certain this will be my topic. It has been on my mind for the past three years. Yeah. Well, I guess for the past 10 years. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really excited about this topic and it feels like I was meant to write about it. So, yeah. Can you think about a point in time in which you first got really interested in this topic or an experience? Well, I think that having grown up in Santa Cruz, California, I was sort of steeped in that pseudo spiritual um, culture where so many people I knew were becoming yoga teachers. I am actually a certified yoga teacher myself. Um, but people were becoming yoga teachers or breath workers or um, going to the jungle and taking ayahuasca and then saying that they're going to be a shaman. And um, what I found interesting was that so many of those people would um, be able to preach and use the jargon and do the things and sit in the ceremonies. But then when it came down to their own personal relationships in their lives, they were extremely toxic. Um, and so I just thought that that juxtaposition was really interesting. And I wanted to understand more about why there is that disconnect. And, um, and then, you know, you see it in cults, you see it in gurus, you see it in yogi teachers, um, yogi bhajan and Bikram. And it's just, it just kind of spans across all cultures, all of history, um, where you have these people who clearly know the information, but for some reason it's not integrated. Right. Yeah. And have you, I know you've like personally experienced, I mean, I would probably assume not just like coming into contact with these sort of fake spiritually bypassed gurus, <laughs> um, but also like you yourself, and you can talk about this more, like having a background in psychology and also just being interested personally in spirituality like, do you have an understanding about how or why this is so rampant? Um, do you mean kind of the call to become a spiritual being? Yeah. Like, do you ever feel like when you, I mean, cause I definitely felt like this. I feel like the first time that I sort of like entered into the realm of spirituality, I could sort of like, there was a fork in the road of like, okay, I see how people get to take this information, they go, you know, once to take ayahuasca and they think they're a God and sort of use that to perpetuate their own sort of like whatever their psychological issue is or taking a step back and recognizing like, Oh shit, I really don't want to go down that road. And, um, but it's really easy to take that information and use it to your own and other people's detriment. Um, yeah. Well, I think that it can be um, kind of a crutch or a band-aid um, where, in a way, you have this impression that you're doing all this work and you're uncovering your trauma and um, it can actually be one of the biggest barriers to actually being honest with oneself mm -hmm. about what it is that you really need to work on. Um, like in therapy, sometimes the client will think that they've 
or the therapist may misinterpret what the real issue is because the client has presented it in such a way to where you think that you have the right interpretation and the client will go along with that as an avoidance to not actually face the real issue. And I even think about that with myself oftentimes where I'm like, is that the issue or is that just the fake issue so that I don't have to deal with the real issue? Right. Um, so I think that this spiritual path can serve in that sense where it's actually an avoidance of the real problem. That's what I think I'm observing in people like, I, I don't want to use names, <laughs> like, but I'm thinking of a particular friend that I do have where he was kind of like, okay, I, I need to cut my dreads off and I have figured it out and I've just been having this image of being this particular way. Um, and then I think that that actually was detrimental to him because that really wasn't the deep message he needed to receive. Right. That was a very superficial message. Yeah. Um, and this particular person also felt that after doing ayahuasca one time, he was destined to become a shaman and to serve that medicine, um, which is also deeply problematic. Like right. how and why are you receiving that message? Um, and then you could go on and talk about uh, substance-induced psychosis, which many people experience. Um, I think that not everybody is fit for psychedelics. I think um, Terrence McKenna maybe said that like 25% of the population really shouldn't be exploring with psychedelics. They're not really mentally fit to do so. Um, and I think I just heard that one out of every four people is mentally ill in the United States. So... It's very dangerous um, to be mixing the two. Yeah, I always think about that when people say like, oh, Trump should go take ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. It's like, I really just think that would further perpetuate his psychosis and delusion around yeah, yeah. his own godlike. Absolutely. It definitely could. Yeah. And that's the problem, too. How can you dispute that? Like, oh, no, I, I was connected to source and grandmother told me. Like, you can't say, no, you didn't experience that because they did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no real container. And now you have all these Westerners acting as shamans, leading other people through their journeys and not being able to hold them properly. I know about a, an ayahuasca ceremony that took place in Malibu a few years ago. A friend of mine was a part of it and somebody kind of lost it and ended up running outside in the street and the shamans in quotations oh, yeah, decided to send everybody home in an uber at two in the morning in the middle of being high on ayahuasca like that's a deep tr deeply traumatic experience that those people will carry with them for the rest of their lives like you're in a car with a stranger driving through society yeah <laughs> that's not um that's not what should be happening that medicine and it's funny to even call it medicine. Yeah. And that plant really is taken so deeply out of context and dropped into Los Angeles with people who don't really know how to hold that space and serve it. Right. Yeah. So we were talking about this a lot last night and you played uh, uh, something one of your professors had talked about, about sort of like importing 
shamanism was Mm -hmm. it into American or Western culture and how that wasn't really possible. So I'm curious what your thoughts are around what the problem is. Why is it that maybe something like this could work and be integrated into culture and into people's lives in a way that is healthy and balanced and actually beneficial versus taking that practice and putting it into this Western context? What is it about our world and our lives and our culture that doesn't align or yeah, doesn't integrate this well. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why it's difficult to integrate. I mean, just the structure of our society, the way that we work five days a week, typically when we're not in a pandemic. <laughs> Leah's getting attacked by a fly. Um, <laughs> the great outdoors. <laughs> um, you know, it's, you can have these profound experiences, but at the end of the day, you have to go back to your job at nine in the morning on Monday. And we don't really have the time to be able to integrate what we learn. Um, I think that we, yeah, there's so many reasons why it's difficult to integrate. Um, And maybe just also the context of like, yeah, I mean, I definitely think being, There isn't space, I don't think whether it's integrating psychedelics or even integrating grief into our culture. Mm -hmm. I feel like we just don't have the training or understanding of what these sort of like dark nights of the soul are and how, what we should be doing within them. Yeah. Well, I mean, death just really isn't talked about in our culture in general. And when it is, it's this morbid, dark thing. Everyone wears black and we go to a funeral and we cry and you look at other cultures and they're all celebrating life and singing and dancing around the body. It's, they touch it, they smell it, you know, it's, um, we're very disconnected in that sense. Um, and Yeah, and obviously psychedelics have been demonized largely in our culture, the war on drugs. And um, if you were experimenting with psychedelics, you were a sinner and um, it just never was really okay. And so I think some element of participating in that kind of activity and wanting to explore is stigmatized and people tend to feel like a rebel if you do, or, um, you're just not a part of the mainstream any longer. Um, and it's taboo to talk about it. It's now it's more acceptable than ever. But I know for me growing up, um, having experimented with mushrooms and LSD and, um, DMT, it was a secret. And I think that that does something to your psyche when you have to be secretive about anything. It, it's just, um, yeah, you can't integrate. Do you think we've gone almost too far in the opposite direction now where psychedelics is seen as this like cool, spiritually enlightened thing to do? And because of the acceptance or sort of the hunger for it, that we're not taking it as seriously or like having reverence for it in the way that we should be and certainly the way that I think it was and is used um abroad yeah well I think that having it been um made illegal made it so that we couldn't create ritual around it people have to go and do it in their apartment in the middle of the city um with a friend or two or 
I know I, I definitely did it recklessly at music festivals yeah. in San Francisco. And, um, those were awful experiences. They did not go well. <laughs> and so when things are made illegal, we can't, um, properly administer them. And I think that we are really lacking in that sense where, um, people aren't able to have that experience in a way that is like a rite of passage where there's a structure and there is somebody who's qualified to guide you through and support you. Um, that's why I'm really excited about the idea of psychedelic psychotherapy. I'm actually working on a project um, about that right now where I just, I've had bad trips and I've had really great trips and I know that I am who I am today um, greatly because of psychedelics, but I also had some really traumatizing things happen as well. And so if I could pinpoint why I had good experiences versus bad experiences um, and then curate uh, spaces and um, and get people in who can administer this stuff properly, you could probably eliminate a lot of that negative. Um, yeah, I, I see kids, you know, doing them recklessly and it is dangerous, um, but there is great potential too. But it is certainly a trendy thing to do now. Like, oh, I dropped three hits of acid and uh, <laughs> whatever went to Burning Man. I have a lot of friends who've gone to Burning Man and done tons of drugs and like completely lost their minds you know yeah. the whole week was ruined yeah um yeah and what do you feel about you know i think when we talk about this sort of like white shamanism western spirituality like that's such an umbrella for like we were saying this morning like kundalini teachers and reiki and mm -hmm. astrologers and it's hard because i think they're I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, like the regulations and certifications and sort of ethics around traditional psychotherapy mm -hmm. versus these other modalities. And I can, I understand the benefit of not, you know, just burying them within, um, you know, qualifications and certifications and rules. And like, you know, I, I understand that some of these things aren't meant to be, quantified in that way mm -hmm. but maybe because they're existing within our culture i can also and have experienced firsthand the damage that is caused when a person who shouldn't be teaching or leading mm -hmm. um just decides on their own or from or is you know given a certification from some other like narcissistic crazy person right. <laughs> um, so like do you I'm sure you think about that a lot. Like, do you feel like uh, there are too many sort of rules and regulations around traditional therapy and um, how or should we apply those to these more unconventional therapeutic modalities? Well, I think it's really wonderful that there are steps and you know, educations that one must receive in order to become a psychotherapist. But that doesn't mean 
that therapists aren't problematic themselves yeah. and exploitative. And still, and, like, take the test. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, people can become therapists and psychologists and um, still be racist or right. still be sexist. Um, so it's not a bulletproof guarantee ever. But I do think that, um, you know, somebody was asking me about, like, well, what do you think about yoga teachers? It's like, well, at least yoga teachers have to go through training. Whereas with shamans, it's just like, uh, I went to the jungle for a week and now I'm going to be a shaman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it sounds really strange to think of shamanism as being a certification. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just don't, I just, like my professor was saying, I don't know if you can go into Peru or Ecuador and take their ancient indigenous practice of shamanism and bring it into the Western world. I just don't know. I mean, I think you can take principles from that and then apply them here within our Western centric structure. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's just a hard thing. And I also think that sometimes there are people who are just born to be a leader or born to be I don't know if I would say a shaman, but I think some people are just extremely fit for it. Um, but I don't know how you gatekeep and prevent exploitative people from entering the field. It's just going to be inevitable. Um, so I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, like if we, as in people that live in America, lived in like small tribal groups where it was very clear whether or not someone was fit for that or made for that. And there was, you know, due process just in the sense that, like, you have all these people around you who are going to know the difference mm -hmm. and who are going to, you know, make sure you stay responsible and honest in a way that we don't have that in our culture at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just one person in charge and we just follow suit. Um, uh, we watched the source family last night, which I'm really excited for you to watch, but, um, in it, this white guy, middle-aged man just decides to basically become a guru and he gathers a very large following in the seventies and all these people are just enamored, um, with him and, and as they're adults and interviewing in this documentary, they're like, I don't regret it. He taught me so much, even though some could look at that and say, oh, well, he was just like having sex with all these young women and claiming to be God and having superpowers and be able to do magic yeah. <laughs> it's like on the outside. That looks insane Yeah, um, and could certainly be interpreted as exploitative. But these people who went through it were like, this was an important part of my life and I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a part of us, we want leadership, we want community, we want connection. Um, but with him, uh, I think they were calling him Father Yahweh <laughs> at the end. Um, <laughs> so but uh, he had this desire, this impetus to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and share teachings, which he did well. You can tell he really did his his work. Um, but it would be much harder to have that feeling and that drive and then to find five other people who are also at that exact same point with that exact same desire. 
And so you become a single person leading a group of people. Ideally, it would be 10 people, like a panel of people with elders and youth and um, people to check one another. Uh, But the chances of that happening in the way that our society is currently structured is so slim. And so we find these singular leaders who emerge um, and decide to just do it on their own. Right. Yeah, I had someone on the podcast when we were in Thailand, actually. And we've been like all across the world together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there was this guy who we met um, who had like for a a while sort of like set up and run and kind of led a lot of different community type um, organization things. Um, And we talked about this because, I mean, I feel like I'm, I've always fallen into this sort of like leader type of position. And I think a lot of that's just because I'm like, I say things that people are kind of afraid to say often. Um, And I remember, especially when I started this podcast and having been on the opposite end of this, where like I was following these public figures who I knew, I think in many ways I was putting on a pedestal and thought were kind of godlike mm-hmm. and then would see how their public persona was completely different from who they actually were as mm-hmm. a person. Um, and it was, it became very clear to me that like, it would be so easy for me to also do this. Right. And like I said at the beginning, like then I, you know, got into all these sort of spiritual worlds and, Oh, now I'm an astrologer. And it, it totally freaked me out. Like, yeah. And I was giving a lot of readings. I never really wanted to become an astrologer. I just wanted to learn it. But I remember sitting down and giving a bunch of readings and realizing, like, like it's so easy to psychologically project. And, mm-hmm. like, I didn't get the training for this. And I think I'm super aware and have been to shit tons of therapy. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm as conscious of this that I could possibly be. And even still, right. it freaks me out how, like, what a slippery slope it could be. Um, but... Yeah, like I, when I had this podcast, it was so important for me, even if I'm like the leader or like I'm the voice, Mm -hmm. like I just constantly think about like, how am I using this power? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, you know, uh, no one's necessarily holding me accountable to that. And you know, I, I don't know. I, I think like there is a problem in our society around power too, where, um, like, I'm curious where you think it's being supported from the other side. You know, these people wouldn't be able to rise into power or be these leaders. I feel like unless people were sort of blindly willing to follow them and, (laughs) yeah i'm just thinking about the president yeah (laughs) right well for sure like what is going on i talk a a friend about this a lot like the narcissist fawn dynamic and i feel like i've been in that the fawn position Mm -hmm. with people just individually in my life but like what the fuck is going on collectively yeah that we're propping up these false godlike gurus yeah i mean i think collectively we're just relatively lost you know um we've strayed so far from what really matters you know people connection plants animals earth like we're just mindlessly going about our days trying to make ends meet living paycheck to paycheck and we don't have time to be connected yeah 
Um, and I think that that is a, a major vulnerability that is exploited. Um, we so desperately want to cling on to something that seems true, that seems powerful and real and honest and pure. And the second we see a glimmer of it, we just grab onto it um, and put it on a pedestal, like you said. And and another difficult aspect of this entire situation is that people with humility, because we're all flawed, people with humility seldom want to become president. Right. It's like, who... Who am I? Why would I be that person? And so the people, we have so many qualified people in this country who are incredible human beings. Um, but they would never want to become the president because, right. I mean, it's miserable, yeah. <laughs> first of all. Yeah. But it's also like, how could you not ask yourself, like, who am I to do this job? Um, and so we get these really corrupt, inept human beings in office so much of the time. Um, yeah, I think we also want to have someone tell us how to live because we aren't doing it right ourselves. Um, we're not content. And so it's easier to just turn to somebody next to you and say, show me what to do. So many people go into therapy wanting that. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Give me advice. Like, and that's yeah. really not what it's about. It's really right. about coming to the solutions on your own and helping your patient figure that out. Yeah. Um, so I think I think those are several of the dynamics at play in yeah. regards to that situation. It reminds me, I read this great book that I think I've talked about on the podcast before. It's called Inner Gold. It's by this guy, Robert Johnson, who's written, he's like a Jungian analyst, I believe, um, but writes a lot about mythology like talking about um he has these books he and she and we and like looking oh, at you mentioned this to me yeah before. yeah so he has this book inner gold and it's basically like he's referring to like our inner god and that we've reached this point in history where we no longer have the same respect for sort of like authority or authoritative leaders as we had before so in the past we could sort of project all our our own inner god at like the pope or mm -hmm. you know these kind of um, these leaders in the spiritual or religious world. And we're at this time when like what's going on is that we're locating a lot of that within ourselves, like our own capacity to be godlike. But mm -hmm. the problem is like, we don't have any training in that. And mm -hmm. if we're not careful with that, we go too far in the other direction and become like Trump or these new age spiritual leaders. Because I do think there's, like both can exist. You know, I think we like need to recognize our own internal godlike nature, mm -hmm. but we're not a fucking God. Right. Um, and I, I, he sort of explained this, this problem that we're in is like, you know, we're following and looking up to these people because we're not necessarily ready to accept that within ourselves. But if we accept that and take that too far, mm -hmm. then we become one of them and people are doing that to us. And it's just this like, right. yeah, it's a cycle. fine line. Yeah. Um, and not to mention how social media plays into that big time. Like it's, uh, it's really giving people the sense that they are famous that they are godly that they have a, a gathering a following of people who look up to them and 
Um, I mean, I even just notice it with myself. I delete my Instagram like once a year, <laughs> fully delete, recreate a whole new thing and restart. Um, cause I just, I just feel it get to me yeah. and you feel that dopamine hit when you get, you know, you post something and tons of people like it and comment and you're like, Oh yeah, it kind of gets you high. Yeah. Um, and you want to do it again. And then you, you post something else and you don't get as many and you feel that kind of, um, sinking feeling. Um, and so I think that social media really plays into this so much where you are a virtual God, um, and real life doesn't matter as much anymore. Like if you can curate your aesthetic, um, like people who have like 2000 followers, I've heard people say like, yeah, you know, my fans, they just really, (laughs) I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. I really hope there are so many like young people, especially who I feel like they just really think they're going to be like Instagram famous or, or they want to be. Mm-hmm. And like, it would be so amazing if like Instagram just shut down. Yeah. Like, what would your life be? <laughs> there's if- that meme. It's like, imagine one day Instagram shuts down and poof, you're no longer a model. Yeah. Or whatever yeah. It is. Oh gosh, it's so interesting. Pay good money. I know. Even if it didn't last, like just the like the insanity that would ensue. Yeah, and it's honestly just become a living for so many people. Like you can make, you can truly just survive off of if you have enough followers. You can really just post and not work. Yeah, Um, people would be very lost without it. Now it's become a major keystone of our society. Yeah, I definitely used to like that was a huge part of my living and income because I had a food blog. Mm. Um, And I just there was one day where I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. I mean, I still promote my podcast on Instagram, but in terms of spending shit tons of time writing like mini novels and I was just like, I just am going to post photographs because that's what's actually enjoyable. Like this is eating away at my soul. and. Yeah, it, it just it totally got intuitively for me like this is not right that yeah. I can I can't live with myself anymore if I continue to do something that doesn't feel right. But I feel like so many people don't. There is no intuition. We don't. Mm. We're not in touch with ourselves yeah. and our bodies. So we just keep going. It's true. We are deeply disconnected from our bodies. I know of a woman who was pregnant for eight months and didn't even know. <sighs> Like a month before she's due, she finds out. I'm just like, how can you be that, that disconnected from your internal processes? Like it's terrifying, um, that we can be that distracted that we're not, even though we're residing in this machine all day long, every day, it's, it's the fact that you can completely miss the fact that you have life growing inside of you. Yeah, that's horrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Um, But I think that that really exemplifies how disconnected so many of us really are. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's sad. And I think psychedelics help with that. I think that they bring you back into your body. They bring you back into your brain. And I've had so many revelations on psychedelics where I was checking myself. Like, oh, shit, I really really screwed up here I need to reel this back in or yeah I need to call this person or yeah um so 
I think that psychedelics are in many ways um, potentially the answer to the disconnection. But it's all about how much, who you're with, where you are. Yeah. Well, and that's where the integration comes in, too, because I think at the end of the day, what I feel like psychedelics does or grief does or any of these things, like, opens ourselves up to whatever trauma we haven't processed, like, mm-hmm. really getting in touch with the mistakes we've made in our own lives and why. Mm-hmm. And that's a hugely painful, terrifying process. Yeah. And we're basically, if we decide to do it, in most cases, we're forced to do it alone because our culture doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like our own process threatens other people because then it, you know, it's called to their awareness that maybe they haven't gone through that process mm-hmm. and they really don't want to. Um, I feel like that's where we use, we can use anything. We can use regular therapy, mm-hmm. psychedelics, any type of spiritual practice like that is the definition of spiritual bypassing, I guess. Like we're just using these <laughs> tools to further avoid the thing that we sort of came into contact with when we first entered into this realm in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. The psyche is cunning in that way that yeah. it can conceal, continue to conceal the real heart of the issue. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, therapy can really, I think that long-term therapy can really help you uncover that. And I think in conjunction with psychedelics, it's, it's really, um, the key in my opinion. Um, and I've done, you know, ayahuasca in the jungle in Brazil and, um, and it was profound and I did have a very strong connection to, divinity and I felt like I was one with source and I got back into town the next day and found a payphone and called my parents and <laughs> was like having all these memories flood in from my childhood that I'd never thought of since they had occurred and so I think that just doing things like that can really be supportive um, as well but like you said people just aren't um, equipped to handle it much of the time. Yeah. When I was in that ayahuasca ceremony, I was, I went in just like, all right, show me the demons. I'm so ready. Like I want to see my shadows. Um, I really came into it wanting the, to go into the darkness. Yeah. And the whole thing was just like this magical fairyland, And I was Mm. just sitting there like smiling and, Uh, It was wonderful, but all around me was chaos. It was like Mm. people are screaming and crying and running around with their arms flailing in the air and shitting and puking. And I'm just like, Like, I kind of wanted that. (laughs) Why don't I get that? Yeah. But for those people, I'm sure that was so traumatizing because there were only five shamans. There were a hundred people. Wow. They couldn't be held um, in those experiences. So. It's just so nuanced and it's so circumstantial. How do you, as a therapist, like I was having this debate with someone the other day about like, you know, cause therapists aren't there to tell you what the problem is, even mm-hmm. though they probably see it within like five seconds of you <laughs> being there. Um, like how, 
And I, and I, I mean, I'm, I don't really know how this works. Like, I think I definitely went to therapy for a long time and like nothing was really happening because mm. I wasn't really ready for it to. Yeah. And then I had a therapist where I was like, okay, like I'm totally, I understand what this is about now. I understand how this can be used and I want you to call me on my shit. Yeah. Um, but how do you deal with someone who comes to therapy who you feel like might be using it to perpetuate their own denial or avoidance? Like, is that frustrating or like, yeah, well, so my program, the emphasis is really on the unconscious. Mm -hmm. So we're trained to pick up on body language, silences, intonation, Mm -hmm. um, dreams are a really useful tool to bring in to therapy. If your patient's willing to share that with you. Um, but oftentimes you reach a point where you're like, do you want to be here? (laughs) Because you don't have to be, you know, and that's okay to say. Um, I worked with, uh, people in a homeless shelter with chronic mental health disorders, like schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline PTSD, um, who were homeless and oftentimes using, meth or heroin and so for me it was mandated therapy right so i'm like these people don't want to be here at all um and so i just really let them lead because i have my own feelings about mandated therapy i just don't think that's ethical right um but i just let them do what they wanted to do if they wanted to talk i would listen if they wanted me to ask some questions i would ask some questions um I think that there is something deeply therapeutic in just being close to somebody. Mm-hmm. And especially for these particular clients, they had nobody to talk to right. um, and witness them. And so I think that there were, I saw profound changes in some of them. But for some of them, nothing, you know, it would, months would go by. And I actually went to my manager at one point and said, look, with, with this one client, he was definitely sociopathic and violent offender and I just said look this isn't benefiting him and this isn't benefiting me and I just don't think that this is okay to do anymore and she let me um, terminate Mm -hmm. with him so um I've only worked with the chronically mentally ill so I don't know really what it would be like to be with somebody who (laughs) um is just you know playing me essentially right But I think that the best thing a therapist can do is to call their client out on their shit. And um, if the client doesn't want that, then it's probably not their time to do therapy. Right. And what do you think that is for people where for some people, I mean, I'm assuming that all has to come from their own internal space or maybe just like the amount of trauma that they've had, but why some people are like capable of doing the work and why others don't seem to be I think it's like really goes back to childhood Hmm. and um I think it has a lot to do with attachment styles I think it has a lot to do with your parents and if you were allowed to talk about your feelings um I think that well we know that so much of our neural pathways are ingrained through young ages and so if you don't learn how to have humility Um, I think that, uh, it would be very, very difficult to achieve that in adulthood. 
but um, I think that people can reach a breaking point a lot of the time as well, where they're, you know, maybe their own rock bottom has hit and they are finally re really ready for change. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's also just straight up personality disorders where people aren't really capable, like people that have deep narcissism can't admit that they have anything wrong with them. So right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if those people would ever be able to come yeah. around. Yeah. And going back to what we were talking about before, obviously I think people with severe narcissism are often the ones in these guru leadership positions. Um, and it's incredibly fr frustrating, which is a massive understatement, but like, even when they're caught mm -hmm. doing whatever it is that they're doing, they not just refuse to admit it, but then like project the blame outward at everyone else. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it feels, I mean, I'm involved in, I have been involved in stuff like this in the past, which is like, what is my role? Like, I don't want this person to hurt other people or to do what they did to me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's like, it doesn't feel like, and I also don't, I don't really subscribe, like, as I'd like to talk to you about like, cancel culture. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I genuinely like the only solution, quote unquote, or the only role that I feel like I can play is to make people who follow those people who give those people the power, mm. more tools and awareness to not do that. Right. Because it's like, if you're, I don't, I think narcissists, like they get their self-worth from other people. Mm -hmm. So if other people aren't participating in those dynamics, they're not, if they're not playing the game, yeah, like maybe that's the only way to kind of break it down. Yeah. But then it's also like, is it really my place to go right. around and be talking to these other people um about it it's it's a really difficult thing I was put in a similar position where I found out that um a lot of women were being taken advantage of and yeah. I decided to confront that person and it did not go well yeah I don't talk to that person anymore yeah um so that's a tough thing um yeah that's, I'm, right now I'm just thinking about the whole cancel culture. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. Okay. Because obviously, like, this white shamanism thing, as we talked about, can be broken down into all these different components. Mm -hmm. Like, patriarchy, just Western society mm -hmm. as a whole, power. <laughs> and, like, yeah, and that applies to so many different areas, I think, including we're, like, getting... Attacked. Attacked. <laughs> and there's nowhere like we could, I guess we could move back there, but we're just going to get okay. sunned in again. Um, so, yeah, I feel like what's happening now with this whole like Crystalia thing, mm -hmm. all these men being accused, I mean, the Me Too movement in many ways, right. being accused of um, grooming or, you know, using their power to sway young women into doing what they want. Um, and I think there are some people that are like, obviously like Bill Cosby straight up raping women, sure. but then there's also like just people flirting on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. It's a spectrum. 
But the, the problem with um, the American psyche is that we think very binary. We, yeah. we have a really hard time thinking in nuance. And so it's kind of like, oh, me too. Like, this guy made me feel a particular way. So he's canceled. Um, I'm seeing that a good friend of mine who I dated for a time. Um, he's a DJ, bass nectar, Lauren. Um, he's also being canceled right now. And I know him to be an incredibly kind, intelligent, compassionate, loving, sensitive human being. Um, and I've been looking at what exactly he's being accused of. And it is so, well, and I must disclose this as well. Um, I have a degree in social justice. My undergrad was in racial and social justice. Um, critical psychology was my minor. And I was myself drugged and raped my freshman year of college at San Diego State um, in a frat house. And I never confronted the guy. I would see him on campus and I would look at him and shake my head and he would look down and it was very obvious that he knew what he did and I knew what he did and I could tell that he felt badly about it because we were actually friends before. Um, and I've done my own therapy around that, you know, and I feel like I've reached an okay place with it. I have fantasies of writing him a letter sometimes and saying something to him, but I'm also like, he, he knows what he did. I could see it all over his face. And so for me to read these accusations against Lauren, where it's like, you messaged me when I was 17 and, um, you know, I, it's, I guess it's hard for me because I was literally drugged and raped yeah. and, um, and maybe that's my own thing where I'm like, you guys don't even know how bad it could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to be like that. Um, but I really do believe that we've gone way too far in the in the extreme of the left where it's like, yeah, men hit on women like women hit on men, too. And um, and men are attracted to younger women and social media allows for and women are attracted to older men. Sure, Like <laughs> yeah. it goes all ways. Yeah. Um, and like we were just talking about earlier, just in different cultures, that's just the norm. It's not even considered rape or, yeah. you know, women. And this is a very Hillman writes, James Hillman writes about this, but he says trauma isn't so much traumatic because of the event itself, but because of the way in which we relate to it, remember it and how the people who were around at that time responded to it. Right. Um, like you can see that when you're like a little baby. Right. Or when you're looking at a little baby and like they fall right, and they don't cry, but then they look at the mom and mm -hmm. the mom freaks out. Mm -hmm. And so the baby is hysterical. But if the mom stays chill, mm -hmm. the baby's totally cool. Exactly. Like, it's so obvious yeah. to witness that. Right. Um, so, yeah, for me, just seeing all of these accusations, none of them about rape, none yeah. of them about molestation or um, any kind of sexual assault. And he's, you know, stepping down from his career. Yeah. And the thing is, is he's he's definitely a nonconformist in the sense that he's never he's o openly just like I'm not a monogamous person. Right. If you want to be engaged with me, know that I'm also engaging with others. I understand if you don't want to be a part of this. Right. You know, it was at least for me with him, it was never a, a matter of pressure. Or um, grooming, yeah. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, 
And I feel like people are just so afraid to speak out against it because it's um, so we're just all about being politically correct right now and listening to victims and absolutely listen to victims. Like having been assaulted myself, I would never want to discredit anybody's experience, but there isn't due process anymore. Right. Exactly. Like some girl decided to just post something on Twitter and then there's a waterfall. I mean, this, these men are famous they're charismatic, they're handsome. Um, and again, it's kind of like that shaman thing where people want to latch onto that. That seems appealing and I want someone to teach me and show me the way. Um, and so I think that is what has happened here. But then when the women aren't getting what they want, like, um, commitment perhaps, um, they're left with a feeling of, of maybe they feel like they have been invalidated or not appreciated or taken advantage of. I don't doubt that they feel that. Yeah. But I don't think that that's on the men. Um, I don't think that's their responsibility if they're com- forthcoming with their communication and being honest about where they're at. I I don't know what more one could do to make it feel okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just a tough thing. Um, and I feel, I feel for the women who don't feel okay about how things transpired, but I also really feel for the men who aren't getting a due process, who aren't getting to be heard. Like I know Chris D'Elia sent out some of the emails a few days later. Nobody's talked about those. Yeah. Um, it's just that initial kind of um, hysteria and then, and then it fades away and they don't really get to have a say or be heard. What do you think is happening psychologically for the women, uh, who are in this position, the ones being groomed or feeling like they're being taken advantage of, like what's going on that women like, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that, as a woman myself, <laughs> I mean, I have felt so objectified by men my entire life, even as a young girl in the grocery store or, yeah. you know, in college, guys in my class or um, at times even partners I've had making me feel like um, not worthy or, yeah. you know, just kind of gross. Um And so I think as women in this society, we all feel that to a certain degree. Um, And I think it's this pent up frustration. Yeah. um, (laughs) And um, anger. Yeah. Anger towards men. I have, I certainly have anger towards men. Um, And I know that it's a culmination of probably a lot of negative experiences. And then there is this opportunity to release. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, And I've done that. I totally did that before where I got pissed off at somebody. And I know that he was the brunt of all of my rage from all of the men throughout my whole life. Um, And I owned up to that and said that I was sorry. Um, I still feel that what he did was wrong, but I don't feel that he deserved the level or the degree of, of anger which I directed at him. Right. 
Um, and so I think that might be what's happening Yeah, um, in a way. Well, and I think like, I don't know why this is, but I feel like women often have a hard time recognizing that like they're also coming from a place of unprocessed trauma or Absolutely. anger, you know, and, and that, that, that doesn't negate the fact mm-hmm. that what the dude did was shitty mm-hmm. because he also is coming from a place of unprocessed trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that I think people have a hard time recognizing that both of those things can coexist. Like, yeah, this guy could have maybe acted better, but also because I wasn't aware, because I didn't believe I had the agency that I have or believe, or because I didn't have the self-worth that I could have. Mm -hmm. I participated in that and then I got hurt and now I'm angry. But the fact is it's a lot harder to look at like our role in a thing. Like what, what role in this dance did you play too? Because in so many Mm -hmm. of these situations, nobody's like physically restraining you or even anything close to that. Mm-hmm. Like you can leave at any time, right. but they don't. Um, well, and I heard on this recording, somebody who accused Lauren called him. They try, he tried to offer a conversation for healing yeah. and she then turned around and sent it to this page on Instagram and then they posted it. And so that in and of itself, I'm like, you just, I, I feel that you went into that w- with the intention of sending that in the whole time. Right. I don't know if it really was for your own healing. Um, and in that conversation, she's saying, you know, I was only 17 and you were in a position of power and I was intimidated by you. And sure, those things are all true. Yeah. Um, but what could he have done differently? Yeah. I mean, he communicated, he was forthcoming. Um, and also you give away your power, you give away your agency by saying that um, and feeling that. And I don't know whose fault that is. I think that's society's fault yeah. for sure. But I don't know. It's just so um, nebulous, this yeah. whole thing. And it feels quite unfair um, from all angles. And I felt that too with what she described, like, you know, having an attractive, famous older man be interested in you. That feels good, of course. Um, And I'm sure to have them say in the same breath, I'm not interested in being your boyfriend (laughs) doesn't feel good when that's what you want. Yeah. Um, But is that, um, does that mean that they should lose their career? I don't, I don't think so. Um, And also he's, you know, having calls with every woman. He's like, call me. I want to heal. I want to do, I want to take accountability. Um, And the fact of the matter is we all have our shadows. We are all good and we're all bad. We have both. It's kind of like that um, discussion about like Harvey Weinstein. Like, yeah, he's a monster. But does that mean you're not allowed to like his movies anymore? Like, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. He's great at making movies, and he does really shitty things to women. Um, And can we hold both? Yeah. Is the question. Um, I think that we have these really lofty expectations of people to be perfect. And when they don't um, do that or they show their shadow, we just, we want to cancel them. 
Yeah. But we all have that. I have my shadows. Um, I think there's a major projection going on here. Yeah. And especially I think as it relates to the issues we have with, um, gender and masculinity and femininity in our culture that I think often like women are afraid of their own internal aggression or, Mm -hmm. and so they're projecting it just as like men, I think are afraid of their own like internal witch. So they project it out (laughs) at women, you know, we're so, we're just not integrated in any way that, um, yeah, we just project it all at someone else because we're not able to handle that, whether that's good, a good quality or a bad quality. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's nerve-wracking to even be on this podcast and be sharing these views because I know that they're controversial. Yeah. And um, and I don't want anyone to feel that they that their experience and their feelings aren't valid. Yeah. That's certainly not my intention. Um, I just want to invite people to consider the nuances of everything. And um, and I also can't pretend to know everything that's gone on between these men and these women. I don't know. All, I'm, all I know is what I'm seeing. Yeah. And of course I'm biased because I care about this person and I don't want them to be canceled. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that these views should be shared and expressed um, because they aren't, it's very, everyone's just kind of saying online, it's like, we still love you, dude, no worries, which isn't okay either. Yeah. Um, Or it's like, he's done, he's a monster. Like, why can't we fall somewhere in the middle? And why can't we have some sort of healing, restorative process where we can come to a resolution um, that's something that is deeply lacking in our culture. Yeah. It's like, it's like go to the courtroom or just nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do we want at the end of the day too? Like, isn't the whole point that we like want to stop this from happening? We want to stop people from hurting each other, but by silencing them and not allowing people to speak, like, I just don't understand. Like Sarah, I remember when the whole Louis CK thing happened, I remember Sarah Silverman said like, can good people do bad things? Like, Mm -hmm. why are we looking at this in black and white terms? You know, like you said, we all have our shadow and, and also like, I just feel like it's part of what being a human is, is that we're gonna be hurt and that we Mm -hmm. learn and make mistakes and that we learn from those things. And like, would it have been better? I mean, this is like a genuine question I ask myself, like, okay, so these 17-year-olds yeah, come to this guy and he's like, okay, this is how I do relationships. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm about. And they say, okay, mm-hmm. even if maybe it's not okay, but they're afraid to say that because they don't want to lose any type of relationship with right. him, you know? Like, I don't want to tell you that you're hurting me because then I know maybe you'll set a boundary and be like, well, I don't want to hurt you anymore. So if you can't handle this, right. like, we shouldn't be together. So they just fucking lie. Mm-hmm. And of course, this person could be like, I'm trying to empower you to make a decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you say you're ready and you're okay, I'm going to believe you. Mm-hmm. And they think they're, they think they're empowering that woman. It's like, would that woman have preferred them to say, mm, I don't know, you're 17, you're 25, you're, I don't know what the mm-hmm. fuck age, like you haven't processed your trauma enough. So I know you're saying you're okay with this, <laughs> but 
actually I'm going to make the call that you're not like, is that better? Like, yeah, you that's know, still exerting power <laughs> yeah. and taking away their agency. Right. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a tough one. And then not to mention the straight up laws state by state, how right. they differ. Some right. states, um, 17 is the legal age, 18, 16, like it's, and, and then you think about maturity. I mean, some women at 17, I, I know I was very adult-like. I had been through yeah. a lot of stuff. Right. Um, while other women are still extremely sheltered and haven't been exposed. So right. the age is just such a arbitrary thing. Totally. Um, and then also with these men, it's like Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, um, Christine, yeah. these Jews. No, yeah. just <laughs> um, you know, Chris, Lauren, Louis C.K., like all of these, all of these men, even Trump, it's like that they are a byproduct of our society. They are not the root of the problem. Yeah. They are doing what they're doing and have emerged in society in this way because it's the society that they've been born into. Right. Um, and so that's a whole nother macro element to consider as well. Why do we have a society where men feel like they can do these things? Um, more so the men who actually have raped women. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, we have a president who's been accused of sexual assault by, what is it, like 20 women or something? Yeah. He silenced Stormy Daniels. Yeah with a ton of money to not speak out against him. Like that's our president. Yeah. What, what kind of message do you think that sends to our society? Right. And what are a lot of us doing as privileged, like smart people with all the tools in the world, (laughs) propping that person up and supporting them? You know, I mean, that's the other reason that I feel like it's really important for me to like speak out about these issues Mm -hmm. because I'm not at risk of losing my job. I'm not at risk of being, kicked out of school or ostracized and if I am ostracized I don't really care about those people anyway I have Mm -hmm. found my community um, but there are a lot of people that aren't in that position and I think the more of us that have the ability to talk out about these things like that's a responsibility that I feel like we need to accept Mm -hmm. because I really do think that if we don't we are perpetuating the exact same problems that we're speaking up against and 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 also yeah t- that's that's recognizing your own like i have absolutely said i was okay with something with someone that when and i wasn't you yeah. know and i was conscious about playing a game mm-hmm. and sure i was hurt in the end but you know i learned so much from recognizing how my role and my trauma and all of that stuff was participating in this dynamic and was able to learn about it. Whereas have I, had I just canceled someone Mm -hmm. or gotten a bunch of people on my side and said, go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't ever like, you just need to disappear. Yeah. That wouldn't have helped me. And I, and I know that that is an initial response, right? Right, Like that's, that's like the first step is the rage. You're just like, fuck you. I'm done. I'm exposing your ass. I've felt all those feelings. I certainly went through that with the guy who raped me. Yeah. But now I'm at a point years, many years later, um, where I think about him and I'm like, I know he's married and I know he has kids. I'm like, I, 
I know that he knows what he did was so wrong. I could see it all over his face. And I, and I'm pretty sure he probably thinks about it at times. Yeah. And I no longer feel the desire to dismantle his life in the way that I used to. Um, would I love to have a conversation with him? Yeah, I would. Um, but I don't feel the need to press charges, take him to court. Um, and I think that it's just like grief. It's a process that you go through. And this is the first stage where people are just enraged and acting out. Yeah. And I'm sure down the line, maybe some of these women will feel differently. Like, I, I don't really necessarily want to ruin his career. I just want him to have some accountability and acknowledge what he did and how it affected me. Right. And if you've moved past that really honest anger and rage and you've like metabolized that and moved mm-hmm. through it. The other thing that I think we really need to not be doing is to calling is calling people who have gotten to the phase that you're at, or like I have this with other men not have who have not done something that severely to me, mm-hmm. but certainly hurt me in you know, power of patriarchal sort of ways just because I don't feel the need to like call them out or cancel them. Doesn't mean that I'm like a fucking rape apologist or, you know, a victim blamer. And I think that's a real, especially amongst women, such a toxic framework to take, um, which it happens all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, absolutely. Like, Oh, Um, you're not a feminist because you don't want to like ruin this person. And that's a major, (laughs) I mean, I have a degree in social justice. (laughs) Like I am very aware of how feminism works. (laughs) Um, and I certainly agree with so much of it. Um, I am all about it, but, uh, I don't get anything from it. What happened happened. I can't go back and remove that memory and experience from my life. Um, it happened. It sucked. Um, I pushed it away for a very long time and I am glad that I've reached a place where I'm okay through therapy, through talking about it, through my support for my family. Like I just, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. Um, but I don't think that I would gain anything from, bringing it all up again and going to court and testifying against like, dude, he was young too. Like he made a mistake. I know that he was just pressured by his frat boys cause he wasn't getting laid. Um, so Ugh. yeah, I'm not a rape apologist at all. Yeah. Um, and I think people need to be held accountable, but we all get to choose how we proceed when things happen to us. And that's what I decided to do. And I just, yeah, I just hope that people don't just jump on the bandwagon of cancel culture um, whenever it presents itself. Like if we could all just be a little more critical (laughs) and think about things a little bit more deeply um, from all angles, that would just be really great. (laughs) Agreed. Um, All right. Well, that was awesome. Thank you for having this conversation Mm. with me. Thanks for having me. Um, So I always ask everyone that was on the podcast if they could recommend one book to the audience that was like really profoundly meaningful in their lives. Oh, yeah. What might that be? Oh, there's been a few, but I would have to say Shantaram. Um, That book was... uh, I I, I read it twice, and it's a pretty long book. I think it's maybe like 900 pages, but... 
Uh, it's just a beautiful novel based on truth and it's very raw and real and um i loved it so much that i actually limited the amount of pages i would let myself read a day because i didn't want <laughs> it to end <laughs> so that's how i knew it was Good. probably the best book i've ever read awesome yeah um and is there anywhere people can like find you or if they want to reach out hey there kids anya here at the time when we recorded this uh leah did not want to share her Instagram or any way to find her, but she has had a change of heart, which I'm very happy about. So I am here to tell you that you can find Leah if you'd like on Instagram at, uh, I'm realizing I don't necessarily know how she pronounces this, Cream de la Bean. Although when I see cream spelled this way, I want to say creme, uh, but then bean doesn't rhyme, rhyme with creme. So I'm going to spell it out, C-R-E-M-E dot D-E dot la dot b e a n uh that's uh, leah's normal account and then she also has a hilarious um alter ego a satirical white shaman named steve and you can find him on instagram at steve the shaman so basically everything that she was talking about that we both hate and um find really abhorrent she has turned it into a pretty intelligent brilliant comedy so be sure to follow her at cream, creme de la bean, and um, at Steve the Shaman. I will include links to both in the description of this podcast. If you would like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. Get access to all different kinds of perks like book clubs and WhatsApp group chats and t-shirts and playlists and all of that. Uh, plus, uh, it's really helpful to me just to throw some money my way so that I can keep doing all of this and talk to people and buy equipment and uh, keep this as my job, which I would really like to do. And I'm not going to say much more than that. I'm going to play you out with Humble by Kendrick Lamar because goddamn, we need to be a lot more humble. It's interesting. This song, at least to me, at least from what I read, really sounds like a black man speaking to other black men about staying humble. And uh, it's really unacceptable that us white people don't have songs like this. I really can't imagine like a white person singing about this, which is really shameful and terrible. So um, let's take a cue from Kendrick Lamar and seriously think about our egos and our narcissistic tendencies, of which I think we all have. I don't think people are narcissists. I think they're running narcissistic processes. And I think... We all have all of these processes and archetypes within us. It just depends on how strongly we're running one versus the other. So, yeah, think critically. Ask yourself hard questions. Um, when you think you know something, really ask yourself if you do. Uh, continue to be flexible and listen to what other people have to say and be okay with changing your mind. And, uh, yeah, don't let your mind get stagnant. It's boring. It's just boring. All right. Enjoy the song. Talk to you all soon. Next week, hopefully. Soon. <laughs> Bye. Just kidding, you guys. Uh, this episode got flagged by Spotify for me playing copywritten music, which I thought was okay since I don't have ads on this podcast and don't make money directly on it. But alas, the people at Universal did not agree. The irony of the larger songs getting flagged and the smaller ones not when they're the ones that need the money is 
frustrating, but the world is what it is. So I recommend going to Spotify or wherever you go to listen to music legally and listening to Humble if you want to uh, get the full effect of what I hoped to achieve with this podcast. Um, Yeah, it's the first time this has happened to me and probably not the last or hopefully the last, but I don't know. Did I learn my lesson? Did I? Don't know. I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys, and um, I will play you more songs on the next episode you listen to.